1: John Cross of the Daily Mirror, and, making a long-overdue debut, Patrick Barclay, the author and columnist. We're in uncharted waters. There are still more questions than answers concerning Chelsea's future. Arguably the most important concern the wider implications of the club's plight. Will the unprecedented crisis at Chelsea be a game-changer, for football as a whole? Can the game continue to ignore the source of owner's wealth? Is it too wedded to money so that it will continue to turn a blind eye? We're talking about huge issues here, Paddy. Can you see football changing fundamentally as a result of all this?
0: I've been thinking about this and I I wish it would, but I wonder if I'm just, if this is wishful thinking, and that if we go back, if we try to imagine, for example, that there was government regulation or overseeing of football at the time of Roman Abramovich's takeover of Chelsea or any of the other take, going all the way back to Manchester City's original takeover by Taksin Shinawat. Now, would the Premier League or the government's regulations have barred them? Would it have made any difference? And in most cases, I would say, particularly at the top level, I would say an emphatic no. Bear in mind that Roman Abramovich was, you know, for most of his time in London, he's been an honoured citizen, you know, very much welcomed by the government with tax advantages, able to buy property and so on and, and and along with, you know, other oligarchs and so on. The situation has only fundamentally changed in the last three weeks, or less in, in Abramovich's case. So I would say, although I'm willing to be convinced uh, uh, that, 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 that no, it wouldn't have made any difference at all in this case, and in other cases at the top level, Moshiri, Uzmanov uh, at uh, Everton, Manchester City, the, the the current ownership. No, I, I don't think it would. These are these are friends. These were all friends of, uh, of of British society, or were were deemed to be so. Although at, at some stage, I'd like to tell you a story about my encounter with an oligarch, which may give us some insight into it.
1: Uh, we we will. Eagerly await that one in a couple of minutes, probably, Pat. Um, uh,
0: it's, it's
1: perfectly legal, Mike. Don't worry. <laughs> <Good> stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, John. Let's look at the biggest picture we can here. You know, we can talk about you know Barry and you know going back to to Portsmouth. You know, a decade or more ago. You know, a personal view is that the case for an independent regulator of football and perhaps a revised fit and proper test. I think that is, is uncontestable. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I do. I do think it's, it's vital now. I listened into to the, the FT Business of Football Summit last week and that, that was fascinating. And one of the guests, obviously, there was, was Richard Masters. And, and, you know, did the Premier League Chief Executive leave you convinced that there would be an overhaul and a complete review of the owner's test? I don't know that he did really he said the right words but ultimately even though it was a long drawn out affair about newcastle and their saudi led takeover it went through with much angst and opposition and obviously they 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 are you know anxious and eager to say it's not a state run business it's a fund it's separate from the country if you like as a, as a as a going concern but ultimately you know the premier league did did completely Way up, they went through all the sort of kind of processes and ultimately waved it through. Tracy Crouch, meanwhile, in her independent fan-led review, has called for for tighter restrictions on that in the way that sort of takeovers happen, in the way that sort of owners are examined, in the way that football is is overseen, really. And so, I think it was you know it's fascinating to see this at this time and this push for greater transparency, greater controls. And I feel as if, if you look at some of the front pages, as we recalled this on the Friday morning, blood on on his hands, and that's taken from Liz Truss's comments, isn't it? In imposing the the sanctions on Roman Abramovich, I I think this is a point in time for football. I think this is an irresistible moment in which football has to look at itself, the way that the Premier League dictates, the way that EFL clubs, you know, dictate ownership. And the way that we look at it, we have to take it on board. Abramovich has actually done some good things for English football and good things at Chelsea. He really has. Yeah. And I, I will always say that. You know, he's, he's working anti-Semitism, he's working charity. He did a lot more, I tell you what, for NHS workers during the pandemic than some of some of the British and other foreign owners. They really did. And yet, at, at the heart of it all is this accusation about his ties to Putin, which has forced then the the government to act. And you cannot ignore that. You cannot leave that alone. You know, football is is basically saying, OK, this has been brought into very sharp focus by the invasion of Ukraine. But from now on, football has to take a look at itself and understand that, there has to be a lot more care, and there has to be a lot more caution over takeovers.
1: Who and who is funding football? Frankly, hmm. what about Chelsea's options, Pat? Administration is obviously one, given the holding company owes Abramovich one and a half billion. There, it seems to be a bit of a hope of, against hope that that peace will eventually suspend sanctions. But in any case, isn't Abramovich now? persona non grata you know there was a real brutal clarity about that government statement wasn't there
0: yes there was and i mean you know we, you have to bear in mind that, that there is a war going on in europe whatever the russians may call it we are at war and at times of war justice is very rough I'm sorry you know we sometimes we have to do really rough things and and then that Chelsea fans should understand that they don't and therefore we get this for some Chelsea fans should I say we get this appalling scenes like last night where they're chanting in support and then are almost putting football tribalism against the the carnage of what we're witnessing on television and listening to on radio every day. The feelings of Chelsea, the of supporters, the all the admiration that we have. John's outlined perfectly how superbly Chelsea have run their club, not only at elite level in terms of winning Champions Leagues and titles and so on, but in you you know as part of the community the exemplary youth development for example they've dominated youth development in, in in a way that hasn't been seen probably since matt busby's babes in this country so there's so many things but i'm sorry they just don't matter next to the future of of europe and the world
1: yeah let's be dreamers if we can a bit here john look we accept that no money will be permitted to go to Abramovich Bram- from from any sale. So, if that is the case, why not explore the option at least of a of a true community club? You know, a super superannuated AFC Wimbledon, if you like. Do you think fan influence or fan ownership is a viable model for the future of football? Well, here's
2: the thing, isn't it that? <laughs> I know it's the previous in, incumbent, Ken Bates, who basically put in place the, the, the Chelsea pitch mm. owners. Mm. And that has actually played a part in this whole conundrum. Because would, would Chelsea have been sold quicker? Would a deal be easier, frankly, if Chelsea owned the stadium in, in complete freehold and complete, you know, in, in a free way? Probably, Yes. But ultimately, ten years ago when, when Chelsea tried to press ahead with a new stadium, it was the pitch owners were concerned, frankly. Were concerned not about Roman Abramovich, I have to say, but about this day, if this day ever came. And so actually the pitch owners system and, and the sort of the safeguard of, of Stanford Bridge has actually worked out quite well for them. And that is almost a bit of a template. I don't think it's fantasy, no. I think it's it's interesting. I was reading the Chelsea Supporters Trust statement yesterday, and they were talking about the golden share, and which is something that Tracy mm. Crouch is, you know, go, going back to that report sort of raised, and and I do think that that actually symbolically could have a really, you know, powerful influence. I think we are kidding ourselves if we think a billionaire is going to come in and then give it give the fat, you know, the power to the fans. <laughs> Or indeed, whether Roma Bramwich can realistically hand the ownership, the keys effectively to his football club over to the government, and the government then say to the fans, "Go on, then you have a runner. That, that
0: it. is what his state, his original statement did imply. Yeah, didn't it, it, it? it did. That, that he would it, yeah. waive his debt of, of one point five billion. The, oh, sorry, yeah, no, for sure. No,
2: him. I think I think that yeah, absolutely. Don't don't get me wrong. I think that that's you know he's got to cover that, but he's effectively now got to walk away and get a special licence to sell it, and then not profit at all. And whether that means then giving all the proceeds to war charities or, you know, greater ownership to, to the fans, I, I just don't see a point in time yeah. where the government takes... And not frankly, nor should they. In actual fact, I don't I don't approve of the government then sort of taking control and then handing it down to the fans. I think if he wants to give it to the fans and give it. So, I mean, look, at you know, what Barcelona do is quite interesting, isn't it? Because they yes. still have
0: that, you know, yes. the,
2: the, and that would be a sort of a happy, happier, happier. If, if we were compromise. having
0: this conversation and I'd like to ask Mike about, you, you know, where he where let's let's be dreamers. Because, it uh, can I just briefly outline my dream? I watch Barcelona's every result now. Because if we were having this conversation six months ago, we'd say, fan ownership, the, the great flagship of fan ownership is failing. Barcelona's going down the pan. They appoint Xavi, and, and they're, they're going back there now. They're going to qualify for the Champions League next year. So, would you, Mike, I mean, my dream i i've got we've all got friends who work for the Premier League, and we really respect them. Fans think oh the Premier League's all about money. If you know the people who work for the Premier League they're football idealists like us, they really are they have their okay they have their job, but they they do love football and i I would like capitalism and football to be separated. I would like football to I would like every football club in the world to be run like Barcelona or Wimbledon by the fans. Do you share my dream on that well you,
1: I, you know I would I would say Barcelona I you know, like you know, all three of us have been around football for a long time, and you know, I can still remember my first trip to the new camp, and it absolutely entranced me and it's still my favorite place in the world to watch a football match mm. yes yes. Um, and you know you've got the, the the obvious connotations of you know the, the links with Catalan culture and, and, and politics, but also you've got. There was a purity about Barcelona which really attracted me in yeah. the first place, you know, mesque and Club and all that stuff. But yeah. as things have gone on, especially in the last couple of years, you've seen how the club itself has been a bit of a platform for either individual egos of the presidents and, and the attendant politics. And, and frankly, it's been yeah. shambolic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. the principle is absolutely correct and, uh, you know, again, Going to going to AFC Wimbledon this season has been a joy, isn't it? Because you've seen, that's the manifestation of a dream. You know, a vibrant, small but really nice stadium. The fans have got, you know, it's theirs. It's theirs, and that's really important. the The reality of the world that we're living in. Well, let's let's say, Crossy, right? Okay, this is what happened yesterday. Abramovich is sanctioned. Mass confusion. Then Corporate UK or the corporate community starts to speak. Mm, mm. You've got the sponsors, okay? Their their kit sponsor suspended their £40 million deal. Nike, who agreed a a 15-year deal worth £900 million with Chelsea in 2016, they're not commenting, which could be bad news. So football... At the level it is now, is driven by money and driven by you know political expedience. You know, so here's here's you know, I'll throw another idealist idea at you, John. Chelsea can't profit from ticket sales. Why not just give them away free?
2: Well, you see, now I think this is interesting. In amongst the, all the government details and the release. That was sent out yesterday, I I noticed a few pointers towards perhaps that might be the way forward. So if you, your Champions League ticket, for example, is not included, if you give you could give it away basically to, to a season ticket holder. If they reach the FA Cup semi-final at Wembley, again, they could give give them away free to Chelsea's season ticket holders that they would be open to the ideas, shall we say, of creativity. And I think that that's the way forward. I think the brutal detail of it really struck home. And I think... (laughs) I mean, I've been watching so much and listening to so much news. Frankly, it's probably not been good for my, you know, for my own well-being. Frankly, because I found it absolutely, you know, devastating and so upsetting. And you know, I mean, blimey, you, your heart goes out to people, don't you? I mean, particularly the children you see, absolutely distraught and loss of parents, and you know, left as refugees It's, it's absolutely shocking, absolutely shocking, and that's brought it home to me. But I guess there'll be a lot of people that are thinking, wow, Abramovich, I know him. He's more representative to, to Russia to a lot of people in this country than, than without being patronising or insulting than Putin is. And basically, you know, all of a sudden they're saying, this is the, th- these are the sanctions that we have to take and these are the sanctions that we're taking. And you go through the small detail about shutting the club shop yesterday with people in it and ushering them out the shop. Stadium tours were shut and basically the doors shut behind them and said, right, this is the last, last few people to go around. You can't profit from any sort of ticket sales now for the way forward. What is this telling me? This, I mean, the, the, the ins and outs of this is telling me that basically they've been given a special licence to continue because... Originally, I I was told last week that basically if the sanctions were imposed at this this time, Chelsea couldn't even get a safety safety certificate for games to go ahead. So they've worked out the finer details to issue a licence so that Chelsea can continue. My reading of this now is that Chelsea will be given a special licence to be sold, and then it's just how that sale goes through. But they are definitely, definitely now the government putting pressure on Chelsea to do a very quick transaction, which must go through quickly. But also, it says to Abramovich, you cannot personally, individually profit in any way from a sale, but this has to go through. My feeling is that this will damage Chelsea in the long term. Of course it will. But I also feel as if Chelsea will ultimately be sold to another billionaire, who, if he's got... Any sense about him will give a better share or a golden share or some greater share to supporters, you
1: know, responsible, sensible supporters moving forward. Well, there is you know, in, you know, this morning. There is speculation that the Rubens were in, were involved with Newcastle. Are quite interested. You know, there there doesn't seem to be any reduction in interest in buying the club from the sort of billionaires that you spoke about there, Crossy. You know, let's let's face it. They're probably thinking, well, we can get a good deal out of this. Mm. You know, there's an irresistible symbolism about the first home game of this new era. Newcastle are at the bridge on Sunday, Pat. You mentioned it in passing earlier on, this whole idea of of the links between the club and and Saudi sovereign wealth. You know, that that will play out. In a football sense, I just want to try and just get to the football nub of this. Okay, Newcastle have got, have got picked up nineteen points out of twenty one. Eddie Howe deserves some credit, but you cannot separate that from the £85 million they spent in January. So, you know, I'm noticing a little bit of subtle cheerleading going on for Newcastle at the moment. But look, let's face facts here. The players that they bought, Grimoresh, Dan Burns, filled that leadership void left by the injury to to Kieran Trippier. Without that money, Newcastle
0: are right in it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's almost certainly made the difference between uh, well, there, there being a, they're remaining a premier club. Already, people are talking about a title challenge next <laughs> season, which, which is, which is fine. I mean, wouldn't it be great if Newcastle did? But uh, other people might say, yeah, but hang on a minute, you're, you're, and and I know you're trying to concentrate on football now, but people. You can't separate it from money. People will say, well, okay, we've impoverished Chelsea because of politics. What about Saudi Arabia? Saudi Arabia, however, will become more and more our friends, you know, regardless of Sudan. Saudi Arabia, because of our need to to buy fuel from places other than Russia, Saudi Arabia are going to become our big mates. in the next few months, I, get, I can almost guarantee that. So, you know, people people will, will say, you know, what's wrong with Saudi Arabia? What are you talking about? You know, they're our saviors. So you cannot separate us, our game, from, from politics anymore. And, and it, 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 it's almost naive to think, or sorry, it, it, it makes, when we think back to the days when there was an argument, should sport and politics be kept apart? Wow, what, what made us think that could be possible? Mm. Well, in that sense, let's look at the geopolitics of it
1: then, John. With PSG imploding, Qatar's bound to be a controversial World Cup. Do you think there's a chance that they'll step back and maybe out of football? You know, even this week, you know, Jason Burr, who did a you know, very good piece about PSG's plans for global expansion. Mansion, you know, there was a story of I think it was a 250 million pound training ground, twenty PSG academies in the UK. Yeah, you know, it might be that the Qataris might say, Well, okay, you know, football has served its ends for us. We'll pick up our ball and go home. Yeah, maybe. I mean
2: it, it's a really interesting one, that about the yeah, you know, PSG's sort of kind of training facilities and their training ground set up. Is 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 I don't think it's as glamorous as some of the signings they make and the vision they make by all accounts. So you know, it's it's it's, it's a strange one, but it's certainly brought it back into 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 sharp focus that and th- this week really. And they're sort of you know crash out the out of the Champions League. They've got a crazy amount of money and they've bankrolled it, and it's incredibly exciting time I think for football over the next sort of, you know, until the end of the year because of the Qatari World Cup. And it still takes us back to the debate over... I mean, it's uh, we've been looking at sort of, a, you know, accommodation and I know England fans have been sort of kind of rooting through it. What a bizarre setup this is. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. Honestly, we'll have so much restrictions and we'll have so much debate before the end of the year about sanctions, about football's role in the greater good, if if you like. Because, you know, has football done enough? Has FIFA done enough? And yet, by the end of the year, we'll all be flying off to (laughs) to Doha to kind of take place in the most absurd World Cup and so out of keeping with anything else we've ever seen before. A mid-season World Cup. A a World Cup based on what exactly? And sort of difficult questions and embarrassing questions. And, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? In, In the last few weeks, we've seen awkward clips of Infantino almost playing keepy uppies with Putin, you know. I mean, I, I, when will football learn? Basically, but then also I think there's probably an element in what in what you say, Mike. Yeah, you know, where do we go from here? And they're probably Qataris are are as upset about things that are developing as as we are about kind of over the next year or so, really. So I do think we we, we will need to have a little closer look, and I think. You know, these last few weeks have been so embarrassing, so acutely embarrassing, I think, for people at FIFA. And surely they must realise, yeah, we've made serious mistakes in the past and we need to learn from mistakes. And this is me that's sort of kind of speaking here. And someone that's really passionate about, actually, the World Cup and football tournaments going into new territories, being a force for good. So please don't get me wrong on that. But I also feel as if, If we can't learn a few valuable lessons over the last few months, then we really are, you know, we really are in trouble, and we've got to look out. I think for the for the global game, really moving
1: forward. Mm. That PSG uh, performance, or you know, basically nervous breakdown, um, uh, (laughs) you know, but it wasn't a, a real surprise. But what does that do for Maurizio Pochettino? Do you think? You know, the likelihood presumably is that they'll let him go in the summer. Are we in a situation where Maurizio Pochettino suddenly needs Manchester United more than Manchester United need Maurizio Pochettino?
0: Yeah, I think you've you've, well, you've just you've just put it perfectly. Really, there's not much I can add other than yes. I mean, the it's extraordinary how one football match, one leg of a football match. Can completely change this strategy i I imagine of Manchester United, certainly the mood among the support of manchester united i I would guess that most of them have and in fact from what i've heard what i've what has been foisted upon me. Through Twitter and so on, that it, yes, it's fine. It doesn't matter what is happening under Ranick because we're going to get um, either uh, you know the Dutch guy or, or or Pochettino, and with Pochettino definitely being the 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 leader in the clubhouse. Suddenly now, you know, there's a storm of people saying, "See, that's why we told you Pochettino wasn't the <laughs> the right guy." I still think you, sh- you know, that that his reputation should be judged on what he did at Southampton and Spurs, rather than, in our context, rather than, as as as, as Crossy implied before, rather than this, virtually unique institution. Paris-based institution that uh, has chewed up a few before him, not least the current manager of Chelsea, who who must feel that I don't know what German is for frying pans and fires, but I'm sure they've been <laughs> up bust in his mind lately. Yeah, you, you think about it,
1: it there was an, an, an inevitability that on Thursday, as soon as that news broke, there was people saying, OK, well that means that Tuchel will go to Manchester United, he's you know, he's been mentored by Rangnick anyway. Can you see that happening? But, you know, he did say after the Norwich game on Thursday night that he was still happy at Chelsea.
2: Yeah, look, I, I was also at Luton last week when another, it felt another seismic day <laughs> happened, really, when, when basically Abramwich confirmed publicly that he put the club up for sale. So he knew the change was coming. And yet he answered with great dignity and, and diplomacy and he also you know, having spent a bit of time with him over the last year or so, I also feel as if he he's listen when I, I i we're talking about an elite football manager here. I underestimated frankly how good he was as a manager and as a coach, but massively underestimated how good he was as a as a as a person i mean you know there was a press conference what three Fridays ago when Chris Bryant, the Labour MP, had raised Abramovich's ownership and his, whether he was fit to own in in Parliament. And so basically that gave leeway to then Tuchel, I thought was a very fair question, to ask Tuchel what he made of it all. Now, most managers have shut that down and said, I'm here to talk about football, not politics. And yet here he gave a very eloquent answer. He was incredibly compassionate and, uh, you know, showed a lot of empathy towards... Ukraine in it within that answer, and he's just grown. I think in stature and 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 what he means and what he is as a football manager and also as a person, and I think you couldn't fail to be impressed. And I'm sure there's a lot of clubs going. This is a you know very excitable guy who left Dortmund you know under a bit of a row basically similar circumstances with PSG, but he's probably grown and matured and he won the Champions League by the way with Chelsea, and so he's a lot better manager now. And I'm sure that Man United will probably look in and think, oh, maybe we should have gone for him. Because <laughs> he also feels like a bit of a legacy builder. He's continued the good work that Lampard put in place by bringing through more young players. And he's not afraid to do that. You know, Chalabas a good example, scored last night at Norwich. And so he's really grown, I think, as, as a football manager. But I actually think that he will stick around. I think that might be naive, but I actually think that he will stick around and say, okay, I've I've signed up to this. And if they can keep the good people around the backbone, the structure of the club, despite a change in ownership, then we're still well placed here. And I'll kind of want to stay on this and be part of it. So I hope he does because, you know, it's, it's, these are impossible times, aren't they? Very difficult. They can't bring in players in, can't sell players. And he's going to lose players because they're out of contract in the the summer and they can't do anything about that. And I just think it's a challenge. And I think he's risen to the challenge so far and I'd like him to stay around. And I think at this moment in time, Man United are probably looking at Pochettino and Ten Hag more than Tuchel. But I bet you there's a lot of clubs now thinking, well, Tuchel, he's he's one for us in the future if, if he ever leaves Chelsea. You know, I hope, by the way, just following on from Paddy's answer about Pochettino, I think that Pochettino, if you can't see that PSG has ruined other managers, and I think Pochettino is more challenged at the top end than Ten Hag has been, you know, with great respect, then I'm, I think that Pochettino is a better fit in my mind than Ten
0: Hag. He's he's and, a, you know, a proven Premier League manager. Absolutely. You know, the other guy, the other guy, you know, could be yeah. the next great manager of of on the world, but but we don't know.
1: It's interesting, Pat, you know, listening to uh, Pochettino talking to, to Rio Ferdinand on BT Sport in the build up to that game. Yeah, you know, that admission, uh, Tottenham is my club, my place. I wonder if there's any chance of him returning to Tottenham if Conti has a hissy fit and, and, and
0: walks. Mm, well, he should never have left. I mean, you talk about, you know, legacy and, 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 and I think. Legacy and continuity are the most elusive things in football. I mean, that's why there's only one Alex Ferguson. I mean, I I, I just... I, to this day, I don't understand why Pochettino left Donham Hotspur. I mean, you two guys are much closer... You know, you, your fingers are closer to the pulse. But I just think... I just thought it was a perfect fit. And... And 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 I just couldn't understand why something that wasn't so obviously wasn't broken had to be fixed, and I'd, and and I'd love to see him go back there. Mm-hmm.
1: Spurs are at Manchester United on Saturday, um, John. Uh, yeah, that's a match the that. Pochettino derby. You yeah, know. That's the one. Yeah, that's <laughs> the one. Um, that's a match that uh, that neither of them can afford to lose, isn't it? Yeah, but who on earth do you pick?
2: I mean, I have to. I was at the Manchester derby last Sunday. And I actually admired what Ranyak did in, in, in the first half. He almost went 4-2-4. And it was this crazy formation that actually worked. And I was thinking in many they carried a threat. And they this sort of matched city in that first half. And they completely capitulated and waved the white flag in the second half. And isn't that Man United all over? And isn't that Ranyak? If you look at Ranyak's results, they're not actually that bad. They're really not, and they could still. Let's not kid ourselves here. They could still easily finish fourth. Yeah. You know, they're slightly outsiders, but you wouldn't bet against them. I, I'm I, not. I would. Well, you know, that's. That, but they could still do it. Paddy is my point. Uh, I don't. So. I, maybe they won't. But I just feel as if, like, you know, where are Man United going with? I tell you what. I think that next next week. In Europe in the Champions League in the return game with Atletico is yeah. massive for them. Oh, they, oh, I mean, can you imagine the kind of the inquest that will go on if they if they go out of that? Having been completely outplayed in the in the first leg, but then somehow escaping with a draw. But you know, that will be massive for United, especially because their place in the top four is in the balance. And these are this is the clash on on Saturday tea time of two clubs that have no idea when they run out acro- and cross the white line onto the pitch which team is going to turn up, is it the Conte team that lost at Burnley or lost at home to Southampton and Wolves or is it the team that absolutely blitzed, you know Manchester City at the Etihad? We we just don't know, and they played la- well last week, you know it's it's. I, I, where is it going? And Conte must feel so frustrated because I, I think that that guy's a coaching genius. He's not in for the long do term. Yeah. I do. I love him, yeah, yeah. I really love him. I think he's such a fascinating bundle and ball of energy. Yeah. But I do think he can raise players and improve
0: players. I love watching him work. I think it's Isn't is it funny how the, the, birth, the English have taken to Conte? <laughs> you don't and, like and, you know? They, <laughs> no, I mean, no, no, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know how good or how bad he is. But you know, obviously I followed his career. I followed his career as a player. I, I'm, mm. I was probably closer to my prime then. But the <laughs> the the thing about it was that he... He, he, he does have this incredible energy and passion and demonstrativeness that, that the English like. You know, I mean, I can remember the, when Martin O'Neill was, was, was a manager in the, at the top level in England, they just loved the fact that he was bouncing on the technical area and punching the air and holding his head in his hands. And so it's, it's and, and of course, Conte is that multiplied by 10.
1: But you could, there, Pat, be talking about Jurgen Klopp, couldn't you? Because oh yes, yeah. Yes. So let, let's let's look at Liverpool if we could. They're at Brighton in the BT Sports Saturday lunchtime game. Yeah, Klopp spoke of a good defeat, the concept of a good defeat after that yeah. loss to Inter. Yeah, is that coaching logic or a bit of PR deflection?
0: <laughs> it's 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 both, and <laughs> I think that I th- do you know I think. I don't think I've ever I can't remember a manager who's got everything other than this club. I mean, I think he he is an extraordinary man. He's he's done bad things, but he immediately apologises for them. Do you remember he humiliated a a translator? Mm -hmm, And the following day, he appeared at the press conference, and apologised to the translator in person. Now, he could have gone up to the translator and said, sorry, I was a bit sneering about your translation yesterday. But no, he did, because he'd humiliated him in public, he apologised in public. Uh, He's a man who just seems to get everything right. And clearly, appointment, if you look at the staff who work around Liverpool, are very much part of that. And I just think he's he he just gets so much right. He's a he's got the evangelism of Bill Shankly, and and, and you know unlike you two, I can remember Bill Bill Shankly. He's got that ability to create a community around him by aura. He's got that plus all the technical and scientific awareness, and. To answer your question, finally, an ability to relate to the public in a way that goes way beyond PR. He's he's just an extraordinary man. Yeah,
1: well, I I, I did come up against uh, uh, Shankly as about a twelve-year-old bull boy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, that's a story I'd yeah. like to hear. What are we going to say? Twelve-year-old cover reporter. <laughs> <laughs> I had ambitions. Let's put it like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose that you know the modern game, and this is where I think Klopp really excels. Is is this whole idea of you know the manipulation of the squad and the resources that are available to him? When you saw that game crossy did you see any signs of fatigue either mental or physical because if you did it's pretty understandable because this season has been relentless look I I did really and I felt as also I mean I don't want
2: to get into cliche here but also think you know 2-0 dangerous scoreline and all that I mean blimey they could have e- I mean the stats were fascinating from that game weren't they mm. I mean Liverpool was so dominant and had so many shots but actually, the two that I think Salah crashed against the post obviously don't count as on target, even though they're so minimally <laughs> yeah, there close. Yeah, be a new category. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought, you know, I'd... But it 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 was, I mean, how they would sort of kind of did they wasted chances and became a bit more nervous while all the you know all the time, I was watching that game and I was thinking they're so in charge here, but then as soon as Inter scored with. Wow, what an incredible goal! And I didn't know that you know Martinez almost had that in him because he was so subdued in the second leg. I was in the I was in Milan for the first leg. And, you know, for a player that's allegedly being linked with massive moves to the Premier League this summer, he didn't exactly catch the eye in either game, frankly. But all of a sudden, he's put himself on the radar with one hell of a shot. And then you're thinking, it couldn't be, could it? It couldn't do it, could they? And then that then that all changes i think ultimately with sanchez's red card immediately afterwards doesn't it let's be honest and all all hope was gone and into i think it was a question of containment which i know sort of frustrated the sort of kind of the italian press and into fans with it but i just felt as if you know liverpool uh, yeah they didn't they just weren't that ruthless and and yet they just look a bit tired at the moment. I think that's borne out from the West Ham game as well. But they got across the line. And they got across the line against Inter. And you just think now they've got a big challenge at Brighton who's stuttered a bit. But, you know, I love the way... Just following on from what Paddy was saying about Klopp. That West Ham game, Alexander-Arnold has had so much stick over his defending. And almost his first response, Klopp, was who said that Alexander-Arnold can't defend after some heroic defending, you know, in terms of a goal line clearance and another fantastic block. And I just think as if Liverpool at the moment, you know, it's a big test for them. I felt as if they did enough to come through that intergame with a bit of a wobble, frankly. But I never felt as if watching that game, that that result was ever in doubt, frankly. And, you know, West Ham pushed them. But again, you never felt as if, I didn't feel apart from Lanzini's chance and this is a huge opportunity a huge chance for Liverpool still to come back because one slip from City and they're, there, they're ready to take it basically and I do feel as if if you look at it Liverpool away at Brighton the form that Brighton are in at the moment compared to Man City going to Palace you know on Monday night it's who blinks first basically yeah. both difficult away fixtures but it's is, is city's marginally harder at the moment
0: on form I'd probably argue whoever, yes whoever finishes second in the Premier League this year will be arguably the best team ever to finish second yeah. in the Premier League is that fair yeah, yeah i think it is yeah definitely. well at the other end of
1: the table pat we associate or we've we've come to associate Leeds with Marcello Bielsa and i think the nature of his departure was was really sad there were those photographs of him walking around the streets while Leeds were playing their first game uh, under Jesse Marsh. Norwich are at Leeds on Sunday, which is you know an authentic relegation six-pointer. Leeds were pretty abject losing 3-0 to Villa at Elm Road on Thursday night. Do you fear for them?
0: Yes, I do. I probably fear for them slightly less than I did while they were under, under Bielsa. Leeds legend, though he always will be. There's no question about that. But you know, it 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 had gone big time. I do I do feel they'll go down. I still think there's a bit of fight in Norwich. You know, Crossy will probably say, "Well, if 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 you want to have a bet, have a bet with me on that." <laughs> um, but but uh, instead of uh, instead of Man United for the Champions League. But uh, yeah, I, I I I just think. I just have a terrible feeling that, that Leeds will go down. The only thing I'd be absolutely certain of is if they do go down, they will come back a bit quicker than they did last time.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm worried about Leeds, I must say. I yeah, watched, then, I watched, but, they were better on Saturday, weren't they? And they basically yes. you know, defended well. And then last night, I did yes, watch but, that but, game. But,
0: but last night, you know, Villa are a, a, a good side and they have a, a player who's not far off great player. They are on loan at the moment, but mm. they, Watkins it, C- terrific C- at the moment. Coutinho as well. Watkins is very good. Naughty tackle, by the way. Orange, card yeah. that at least. But uh yes, I didn't know he had that in him, Watkins. But uh, it was yeah, they're a good side. But even so, yeah. Leeds with that that crowd behind them should be getting closer to to Villa. You know, given the the desperation. I do think they'll the moment I I think it looks likely. You 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 know you look at Burnley and and you you you, you Burnley are the team that that give you sort of hope that relegation isn't the end of the world. Mm. Because they've done it. They didn't sack their manager mm. and they came back stronger. <laughs> they still might go down again, but uh you know that just sort of gives you hope and and I think Leeds have made a very good choice in um Marsh, don't you?
1: Yeah, I think he's got to overcome this you know, frankly, strange and insulting almost bias against American coaches. It's a, it's yeah, quite
2: strange.
0: That's nonsense. Uh, yeah, um, the
2: Ted Lasso thing is ridiculous. I mean, yeah. I have to say, if there was one if there was one thing that I would a bit I mean, fair enough, he answered it and he talked about it. But then he gave he he gave more license to the Ted Lasso headlines. That's the unfortunate part, because <laughs> yeah. he was kind of poo pooing it, wasn't he? And yeah. then basically, then then oh, you know, he's come back with it. I'm sure we've all watched that show. It doesn't, for a moment, pretend. I mean, I've got a, my oldest friend. My oldest friend, basically, he, he hates football, never watches football, even asked me once, do you know Jose Mourinho? Uh, yeah, I've heard of him. And, um, and basically, um, you know, he, so he's not in the least bit interested in football. And he recommended to me Ted Lasso, because yeah. it's yeah. not about football at all, really. No, no. It's about... You know, life isn't it basically, yeah. and it's you know, it's it's really really funny show, and I've become slightly addicted to it. But it's the least, you know, it's the least
0: are, sh- football show that about is, football. It, it, it is actually going to cause prejudice. Oh, against I think it American-
1: has. I think it has,
0: Paddy. So life imitates do. art.
2: Yeah. I think mm-hmm. it, I think it's you know I think it's prehistoric. Don't get me wrong. I don't I don't think it's right, but I do think it has a bit. And mm. I think I think
1: the Bob Bob Bradley experience didn't help in that. Yeah, way, no.
0: No. No. I think if you add had uh, Bob Bradley and Deb, but Bob Bradley went into a bit of a nightmare situation as well. Mm. Um, yeah, but, I think uh, I think
2: the other thing against them is Phillips and I mean Bamford comes on last night and basically made I thought he made a difference. Frank. I think if Bamford and Phillips.
0: Phillips had been playing for the last few weeks, uh, it it would not be as a acute crisis, but that's always been the problem with Leeds, that Marcelo Bielsa, people don't understand, I don't think appreciate how poor a squad Leeds is, I'm not saying they've got poor players, but how thin that squad is, and if you if you t- took the two best players out of Liverpool or Manchester City, they would still be hurt, but they wouldn't really be hurt that much. You take the two best, the two most important players out of Leeds United and, well, you just look at the league table.
1: Yeah. Well, I'd just like to sort of bring everything round to a, to a conclusion, chaps, if I may. Just go back to Chelsea, and you talked about nightmare situations there earlier on, Pat. You know, as I said, we've all been around the game for quite some time, and I think you would probably agree with me this is this is unprecedented. What, in our judgment, just, just to, as a final answer, please, what, in our judgment, would be the best case scenario for Chelsea and the game as a whole? Um, Pat, what do you think first? Yeah,
0: uh, well, it, it, if I may, just have Leeds. We've just talked about Leeds, and I said Leeds will come back quicker than they did. That crowd will take, will bring them back. That it, it, it really will. And similarly with Chelsea, that club, Chelsea won't die. Whatever happens. Chelsea Football Club, as we know it, will not die. It might decline a wee bit, but it won't die because of the the, the, the passion that's been built up and the fervor that's been built up around it so to answer but to, to continue to answer the question, a sale of course. I would because of the principles I told you before, of course I would like somebody Saint Francis of Assisi to, <laughs> to come up with two billion and buy it and then give it to the to the people, one share each. So that that but that isn't going to happen. So as enlightened a billionaire as possible, please cross his golden chair and you know, back to normal without maybe as much of a budget, but I I don't foresee Chelsea getting relegated in the next couple of years. No.
2: No, I I agree. I think that I know this is sort of fanciful because he's already already stepped away from it. But what about a Chelsea? Supporting billionaire Jim Ratcliffe, basically, you know, he's he's already said last week he's not he's not he's distanced himself from any potential takeover. And I think he's, he's too clever for that. He, 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 he was fascinating, Paddy, in that basically his brother was then on the radio later that yeah, day, yeah, outlining—I yeah. don't know whether you heard it—but outlining exactly why owning a football club as a business <laughs> enterprise makes no sense no whatsoever. Sense. <laughs> and the detail was was simple enough for someone like me to understand. And yet, actually, made perfect, perfect, you know, financial sense. In the face, of it, there's no rhyme or reason why you'd own it anyway. Putting all that aside, I wish he'd drop his, drop his sort of kind of reluctance. And you know, it would go to a someone who's really got a, you know, a close link and a passion for Chelsea. Also, does then provide that that golden share. This sale cannot come quick enough, really, because yes, we can sort of talk about our. Hatred of those Abramovich songs during that sort of, you know, moments of, of respect for Ukraine last quite, weekend, quite which horrible. I thought was, was was appalling, frankly. And, you know, there's a lot of fans that really should know better in, in that time. Uh, that, that upset me far more than actually the chance at Norwich last night because you almost expect that in the tribalism. But to do it through the minutes, you know, respect I thought was appalling. And then hopefully... Yeah, it 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 can't come soon enough because we it, it can We need to distance it, it, you know, from this awful situation, sickening situation, frankly. And I do feel as if within those government details yesterday, within those sanctions, that's what it's aimed to. So, a quick sale, please. A Chelsea supporting billionaire, please, and the golden share to the fans, please.
1: Yeah, well, I suppose you know, we should examine what a football club is. Uh, it's a community asset an acutely personal point of reference for fans it provides a release from the world's harsher realities but a football club's also an important employer now we all concentrate on multi-millionaire footballers but around 12-13 hundred people work at Chelsea now they're all invested in the club's future and I think we should spare them a thought in the next uncertain days and weeks that that lie ahead I hope you agree in the meantime thanks to John and Paddy for their insight and thank you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast